0: Way too many first responders are struggling with their fitness, health, and body goals, but you're not alone in that fight. I'm Ted with Fit Responder and with 11 years experience in law enforcement,
1: as well as being a fitness coach for over 15 years myself. I've created some free resources as well as one-to-one professional fitness coaching for first responders. So I want you to check us out, fitresponder.com, or look us up on Instagram at fit.responder, that's Fit period Responder. And let's see you there. Chat soon. Thanks, and enjoy the podcast.
0: The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for a mature audience. The views expressed on this Poorly Made podcast reflect the opinions of the guests and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this Poorly Made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Now joining the podcast, all the way from Maine, I have Randy Bobandy. How are you, buddy?
1: Doing good. How are you?
0: doing good sorry man i already ruined the archer thing i'm going with Trailer park boys but are you having anything to drink tonight
1: i am what do you got i have dalmore 12 what is that sounds delicious it my friend is a single scotch whiskey
0: i feel like there was a pause there because you had to like turn and look and be like i think i know what this is but i'm gonna read it off the bottle (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah pretty much I get I try it for the first time I like it I'm kind of a scotch guy I usually drink Johnny Walker but I saw this the other day and I figured I'd give it a shot
0: I uh, I really miss the liquor I hope to be back back soon on the liquor but for now I'm still uh, yeah. still dry January's turn to dry February man It's a, it's a painful thing but man's got to do what he's got to do you know
1: no, I got it. I tried dry dry January and made it four days.
0: <laughs> now, to be fairs, I did have a few drinks in January. To be fair, Janu- to be fairs. Uh, I had a few drinks in January before I officially was like, all right, I'm, uh, no drinking for a little bit until I get some of this yep. fat off. But So before we started uh, recording, me and you were talking about the prior – Well. For, for us, the prior podcast that just came out was the uh, young guy in Florida who started his career at 19. You are yeah. similar in that aspect as um, now you're a little more older, a little more seasoned, but you started at 20, right? I did. Yep. What did you think about the stuff he had to say? Was that pretty similar to where you were at that, that time?
1: Oh, uh, Totally. Yeah. Because uh, my life experience was pretty much, I was in high school. And I was in police explorers. I liked what I wanted to do. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to go in the military. And I went in the military, um, went in as as an MP. And within four months of getting done my training, I was overseas in Iraq, part of the New Hampshire National Guard. And then uh, within four months of being home, I got hired at 20 was like no life experience other than just like the military and he really was like you know fake it till you make it I mean you literally fake it till you make it at that age because like you know I didn't have a girlfriend or anything like that so going to like domestic violence calls like the gentleman was talking about earlier today he was like you know I, I get it but you know you know just kind of like play into it but basically it's like you know I've never had an argument with you know 11 before. So things like that, that he talked about is the exact same things that I went through when I was that age, when I started out.
0: Now having the time on, do you think starting at 20 was a good thing or a bad thing?
1: I think it was a good thing. um, Because I've seen it from starting at that young of an age, it definitely gave me a different perspective on life and like how I can do the job. You know, I get people that come out of college that are like, you know, 23, 24, and I train them, and um, I don't really feel like they had what I had when I was 20 years old, if that kind of makes sense.
0: Yeah, you know? that makes sense. I yeah. I mean, I know it's a different experience, but I would just imagine maybe being in the military. Versus a college atmosphere, you get, uh, I don't know, maybe conflict conflict resolution, you know, or I, I yeah. don't know. I just I feel like you're dealing with more more real problems in the military, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it does.
0: It sounds like you wouldn't change a thing, but would you tell people to same follow the same path as you did or would you tell them to live life a little bit more before joining?
1: I would tell them to live life a little bit more. Um, Like I said, I missed out on the college years. I didn't have the college experience. Um, I went right into the military to a combat deployment, to coming home and getting law enforcement. So I missed out on the better part of four or five years of my life that could have been spent you know, doing other things, you know what I'm saying?
0: I know what you're saying. It's kind of a weird, this is going to be a a really weird analogy, but I I had a friend once who kind of got me in trouble and it was not his fault, but I made the point to him, like he's talking about how great his relationship was. And I was like, ah, you're just in the honeymoon phase. That comment got back to my longtime girlfriend, now my wife, and that did not go over very well, (laughs) but- I was going to say, though, I feel like if you look at like relationships and stuff and you look at people that have been in a relationship like I've been with my wife since I was 19, we've been together for a long time. And I think there would be some people out there that would argue, you don't know what you want yet. You don't know what you like. That's why you need to have, you know, failed relationships and and know what works and what doesn't work, yeah. which I see the point. But I'm on my first wife. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. So it equates to law enforcement and stuff. Is it can? There's many ways to a cat, right? Like I, <laughs> it's really easy to make jokes and memes about like the young people joining the job and not having any life experience. But it works out for plenty of people. You know what I mean? I I, I think like anything, relationships or cops, it's who, it's the person, right? Mm-hmm. I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. And I'm curious what your take is on it. So you went to Iraq um, and then you came back. I have kind of had this take. I, I wasn't in the military, but my perception is that a lot of people that are in law enforcement now, a good chunk of them spent time in Iraq, got shit on by the media and the protesters in Iraq, and then came back from Iraq, got into law enforcement, and got shit on by protesters and the media for being cops. What do you think about
1: that? I didn't get shit on when I was over there or when I came back. Um, New Hampshire was very, they're very warm and welcome to the military community. So there wasn't any of that going on here. Um, But as far as the turn that law enforcement's taken over the last few years, um, New Hampshire and Maine, we didn't have these protests or anything until um, obviously George Floyd happened. And then we started to get the protests. So the last like three, four years is now the time that we've actually had to deal with these protests. And it's definitely an experience dealing with it. When all this happened, I was like thrown into it. I've never experienced that before until um, we had the most recent protests.
0: And let me but, just confirm you were not you're not Derek Chauvin, right? You weren't the one I, that I, caused I, all the problems in Minneapolis. Nope. Okay. No. Nope. I just wanted to make sure because I know they were protesting you, so I just wanted to make sure, you know, you weren't involved in that at all. Oh no. Um,
1: but when that incident happened, we started to have marches and stuff in our area about it but i never had to deal with any form of protesting until that incident happened
0: well let's let's jump back a little bit because we we started the podcast kind of out of order my first question usually is what got you into law enforcement so let's let's get to that how come you decided to be a cop
1: is this something i thought that i've always wanted to do my dad growing up. Um, he had a few friends in law enforcement and I talked to them and they'd say, Oh, it's a great job. You know, you can really do a lot with it. Um, so and in high school, I was a good athlete. I played, you know, football and I played baseball and I was good at it. I probably could have gone to school and played. Um, but for some reason I've always just wanted to do law enforcement. So I decided uh, to forego college and go into the military because I thought to myself that that's something that would stand out a lot more than just getting like a four-year degree in um, criminal justice. Because at that time it was 2006 when I got out of high school. And when I got hired in 2008, people still wanted to do the job. So, I mean, when I tested, it was for one position and there were like 30 something people there for it. I went in the military And I think that gave me the edge coming home to get my career going. Um, But it's just something I've always wanted to do.
0: I'm curious about the military thing now. I feel like in the past, that definitely was an advantage for guys that wanted to get into law enforcement. There was a unconfirmed theory. I, I don't know if we want to call it a conspiracy theory at my old department, where they would try allegedly to get people out that had military experience in the, um, in the psych. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was a rumor because you know how the world has changed and, you know, they want touchy feely cops instead of, I, I don't know if it's just like, they think veterans are going to hurt people or something. I don't know, but that, that is kind of the, uh, the thought that was going around my department. Yeah, no, I mean
1: I never had any issues with it. Um going through the psych. Actually the guy that did my psych was a retired lieutenant colonel from the Marine Corps. Literally we talked about military service and some stuff that I have gone through and he signed off on me, but and that was the only military really thing that came up in the psych when I switched departments to maine um the psyche valve my military service never came up um and it was just basically about the last you know 10 years up to that point that i've been on the job
0: you've worked for a total of three departments right yes so you started in in new hampshire and i guess we'll kind of start there Tell us a little bit about your, uh, your your first department. I mean, obviously not naming names or anything. Um, and how come you left?
1: So my first department was a small department. There was about 18 of us. Um, and we had a couple of part-time officers as well. Um, it was known as the department in the area that, you know, they don't get paid a lot of money, but you get good experience you get good training and you get good equipment. Um, we were kind of a revolving door, whereas, um, high call volume, low pay, people would leave to go to other departments that pay more that have a lesser call volume, unless you went to like one of like the city departments. So I was there for seven years and then, um, I had an opportunity to leave that came up because it was making more money. At that point, I was married, uh, had a a stepdaughter, had a daughter, so more money and the five mile drive to work and working three days on or four days off ultimately led to that decision to leave. But there were other things involved as well. As far as like non-drinking the Kool-Aid and just like Mickey Mouse like micromanaging stuff that finally was just like the nail in the coffin. I'm like I'm jumping ship.
0: I've never really understood the micromanaging thing. I I get to an extent, you know, supervisors and shit are worried because of vicarious liability, so they're worried. Well, if my guy does something dumb, but people kind of forget where it came from. I guess you know, like nobody likes that. There's a better way to be a leader and get your point across than fucking have your fingers all over people's shit, you know?
1: Yeah, like you give me a badge and a gun and a cruiser and say, go out there and do your job. But then I'm going to go do my job and do something. You need to come back and say, well, you know, you weren't supposed to be there. And the big thing with at that point in time, so like we had a major highway that, you know, went through my town. At that point, state police were short-staffed. They had maybe three or four troopers on in the troop in our area and they weren't anywhere near the highway in our town. And this is like one of the issues that kind of like got me pissed off was, you know, past like one o'clock in the morning, traffic in town died off. So I would go up to the highway. Well, one night I was on the highway, stopped a car, got a OUI out of it. A couple of days go by get pulled in the supervisor's office and he's like, how come you're sitting on the highway? And I'm like, Cause they always do. I and mean, it's like two o'clock in the morning and there's no cars in town. So I came down the pike at that point. It was like, you know, if they're going to be on the highway, that's fine. Don't sit there because the townspeople will get angry. We're not troopers. I'm like, whatever, that's fine. He's like, if you're out there, be out there, but make sure that the wheels on your car are moving. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Like, three weeks later, I was in between exits because our PD was actually off one of the highway exits. And I got behind a car all over the road, stopped him at the exit for the PD. Guy was intoxicated, arrested him. Found myself back in the office getting my ass chewed out. And I'm like, my wheels are moving that time. But just, like, little stuff like that. And, you know, I will say, once I left there, I went to a my next PD, and it was, like, low key there was no medical managing like night and day
0: was the call load the same
1: or different call load was different we were one man so my first apartment we had minimum staff requirements was about two officers on every shift my first year there we cleared 800 arrests for the year which in a town of about nine thousand people and that's a lot yeah that's a lot yeah it was it was really like it was we were slammed we had two court dates a month we were like one of the busiest towns for our little uh district court and by the time i left there um we were over just over 400 arrests because the frequent flyers finally got the hint and they would just like leave town And then as like how developments and stuff came in that kind of like made the area more appealing to people and basically kind of like washed it all out. But my three years of my other department, we were like just at about 200. Um, And there was, and there was only um, one officer on at a time, depending on what shift you were on. So the call load was less, but still kind of had like the same kind of stuff you know both departments we had a lot of dvs we had a lot of um ouis um just in f- lesser frequent amounts compared to the second pd compared to the first one
0: i'm i'm kind of surprised that there's crime in new hampshire to be honest with you mm. i just i just picture new hampshire vermont maine just really chill and laid back so i'm kind of surprised by that
1: yeah you would be surprised um we have so there's a few places in massachusetts that aren't nice um basically that's like the hub on the east coast for like um drugs they'll start off in the couple of cities down in mass and they'll take 95 up north and basically hits New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont. There's a big city in New Hampshire that's steady. It's definitely not what people would expect, but it's definitely busy up here depending on where you work.
0: You mentioned that you went from one PD where there's two of you at a time to a PD where there's one of you at a time. I'm a big proponent of most calls you should go on with two people. I, I don't know. So you're basically telling me you, there'd be times you'd have to go handle a domestic by yourself.
1: Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the second PD I worked for, we worked, uh, 312. So we worked three days on four days off. Um, if you worked the weekdays during the day, it was nice because you would have some admin there. Um, but more times than not working the 6 PM to 6 AM, it was just me on the road and, um, the couple of the big towns next to us, they're called cities, but they're maybe like 20,000 people. Um, good luck if they showed up to come back you up. And then a couple other towns around us went on call after like 1am. So there'd be times where I'd be at a domestic by myself waiting for backup to show up. And you know, I, I had one call one night, we had a guy, it 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 was like a snowstorm. He stole a vehicle, ended up getting arrested a few towns over. And due to the wonderful bail system, he was released. Got a ride from a bunch of his friends and came back to his house in the town I was working in. Because the person's car that he stole was his girlfriend's who lives there so i'm by myself he's tweaking his rides in the driveway as he's in the house flipping out grabbing stuff and leaving i got the victim on the phone from the stolen car screaming at me over the phone because she she doesn't want him in the house i'm trying to explain to her like there's no paperwork he lives here he can be here um just going off the rails And the friends were getting upset at him in the house. And finally, at that point, like in New Hampshire, weed was still illegal, it wasn't even decriminalized. Then his ride goes to leave, and I look at his ride and I'm like, You're taking him with you, or I'm gonna address the fact that your car reeks of weed. And they're like, Okay, we'll stay. And I'm like, Perfect, thanks. Got him out, and that was by myself. I was like, Maybe about an hour's call, it was there for, for about an hour dealing with all that nonsense
0: that's pretty shitty i i know some people may disagree with me but i think anywhere that has police service should have two cops on all the time Mm -hmm. that's that's my two cents i know it probably won't happen but luckily you know i'm sure some places in the country you have cars nearby that can come back you up but sometimes you don't i think it's i think it's just shitty to go on dvs or anything without or or even a dumb paper call because sometimes you know it could be an ambush and you know nobody knows where you're at except your dispatcher and you're fucked you know
1: yeah it's like going from my first pd to my second pd it was always like you know anytime you had to go serve a restraining order or you're going to like a domestic it was you know two officers But then when you get out to, like, actual, like, rural towns where it's, like, one guy on. And that was, like, the biggest thing for me. It was, like, all right, I'm going to go serve this restraining order by myself and take this guy's guns. This is great. It was huge, like, for me because, like, I was never used to that before. I was used to having, like, someone there with me.
0: So how come you left the uh, your second department in New Hampshire?
1: So I ended up getting hurt. Um, I had a pre-existing injury due to um military and just like working out. Um, got out of it for about eight months, decided I was gonna do something else with my life. And then I was like absolutely miserable because at that point I have been on the job for 10 years at that point, and um I don't know anything else so then that's when I ended up going to where I'm at now
0: what did you do in the meantime Uh, I'm curious if you had like a job and you're like oh fuck this sucks I want to be a cop again
1: oh yeah no so long story I was actually so I took a couple months off um I wasn't vested in the state yet I missed my vested date By a few months. So I ended up pulling my retirement, had that that as like a little nest egg to fall back on. Um, and then just applied to jobs. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to go back to school. But at that point, I just had my second child. So like life was like super hectic. My dad owns a garage slash towing company. So I went to work for him. I worked for him for the better part of four months. And then I realized like we're the same person and I can't work for you because you're giving me anxiety. and We were just like argue all the time. Um, and then I went to, I got a job working security at a hospital and hated every second of it.
0: Let's talk about that real quick and then we'll, we'll jump into everything else. But I've talked to people that work hospital security and I know I I'm not going to pretend they're all the same and all have the same functions, but a lot of them seem to think that their job is as hard as a police officer. What, what are your thoughts on
1: that? Yeah, not even close. Um, Literally all they would do is I would sit at a desk and watch psych patients and then like maybe occasionally somebody would come in. But like the way that the hospitals are structured, it's like hugs, kisses, rainbows, and like, you know, unicorns. Like you couldn't go hands-on to anybody. If somebody was being like belligerent and out of control, it's not like you were going hands-on with them. You just call the actual police. I mean, there's there was no part of that job that was as hard as like law enforcement. Um, I got yelled at one night. We had a guy in one of the rooms and he was tweaking. He took off running. I chased him through the ER, tackled them in the lobby, put them in handcuffs, and then realized, oh, wait, I can't use these handcuffs. (laughs) And they're like, and I brought him back to his room and. It's a whole big to do over that, like, you know, they were against going hands on, using the handcuffs, anything like that. Um, But the way that the statute was in New Hampshire, it was you can do whatever you to to maintain decorum in the hospital, but they never were okay with that. They were always like, take the hands-off approach, call the police department. And unfortunately, the hospital that I worked at, the police department was slammed constantly. So like, good luck if there was somebody showing up in the next like five minutes. If it's not a priority, they might get to you in like a half an hour. So but for the most part, it was all like, it was all like hands off and basically wait for the real police to show up.
0: Did you do anything else before getting back into law enforcement?
1: No, that was the only two things I did. Um,
0: I was kind of thinking there was going to be an OnlyFans in there somewhere, but I guess not.
1: I thought about it, but at that point I was probably like, you know, 90 pounds heavier and like nobody wants to see a, a fat guy naked on an OnlyFans. So I was like...
0: I've heard there's a market for fat guys with little wieners. I don't oh. know if that's true or not, but. Um, well, if there is,
1: let me know because that can make yeah, a it's a,
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a big market on OnlyFans right now. Perfect. I'm gonna so, take some- no, go. Um, so you're tired of the hospital shit and you decide, all right, I want to be a cop. Yeah. Again, so, how'd you end up in Maine as a cop?
1: So my ex wife, one of her friends that she knows her father was a police chief in Maine and they're like, Hey, this, you know, this PD in Maine's hiring, they're squared away. It's a nice place to work. Apply. So I was like, all right, I did. And I applied and got hired and loving life right now. I mean, you know, where I work now, it's like night and day compared to like any other place that I've worked. Um, leadership's good. You know, we have, um there's like no micromanaging um it's just night and day compared to all the other places that i've worked so i got hired there and did the process the state of maine had to go to um a crash week where they talk about like how to investigate uh car crashes in the state and then I had to take a certification exam and then that was it
0: so step step back real quick you said you you left New Hampshire because of an injury I'm just curious because a lot of departments will work with people and give them you know time to get better was that not the case there
1: yeah so I basically after dealing with some in-house stuff I was just tainted by the by the entire experience and I was like um uh, I'm I'm done so when I got out um would I come back to New Hampshire yeah I would but after seeing the other side of things in Maine, it's like so much better.
0: Law-wise, are a lot of the laws the same way and the treatment of the police by the public? Is it better, worse, that kind of stuff? What are the big differences?
1: That's It's about the same. Um, so like laws are about the same, just like the different classifications are different. So like, you know, New Hampshire, you have violations, A and B misdemeanors, um, Maine, B felonies, Maine, you have um, class E, class D misdemeanors, and you have class C, class B, class A felonies. Um, that's different. Um, but, like, as far as, like, the laws go, um, there's a couple different ones. Um, but for the most part of, like, the common ones, like, you know, disorderly conduct, operating under the influence, most of those laws like that are still the same. It's got the same, like, statutory wording into it.
0: I know for me like, I I've dabbled kind of a little bit in Iowa just trying to learn the laws just for my own education and and I think really for the most part I think 90% of the laws maybe 95% of the laws all throughout the country are probably the same as far as wording goes mm-hmm. you know maybe a little bit different here and there but I, just some of the stuff in Iowa compared to Colorado I'm like what the fuck so I I was going to I was going to ask you being somebody that's worked in a couple different states i i feel like it would be hard to unlearn what you know as far as statutes and then relearn oh yeah have you had any issues with that
1: yeah so like the drug code is like still confusing to me you know we have in new hampshire it was schedule one two three four and then it was it's been a while i forget now but like in maine I'll look it up and I'll show you. It's like basically to charge somebody with like possession of drugs, you have to get the classification of the drug and that makes it like schedule W, Schedule X, Schedule Y. There's just there's like no rhyme or reason to it, and it's super confusing.
0: Yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about Iowa law. But I think it's probably one of those things too, if if I would have started in Iowa. And then went to Colorado, I'd be, what the fuck is this shit? You know?
1: Yeah. Like, in, and I'll just give you right, right now. So, like, a schedule-wide, a schedule-W drug, excuse me, made a non-prescription drug by Freddie barbituric acid, or any derivative of barbituric acid, or any salt of barbituric acid, or derivative of barbituric acid, including lipid two. And this rattles on a whole bunch of stuff. It's like not night, it's like not black and white. It's like super confusing. <laughs>
0: Colorado's drug code was like that too, where it's like, sometimes I'd have to like reread it and like really squint because the words were starting to get little as far as like, I'm like wait, wait, what, what am I doing here? Which charge is this? Oh, yeah.
1: And it Like literally breaks down like the chemical compound. Oh, it's yeah. If it's yeah. crack, it's crack. You know, to charge crack as, i want to charge meth as, but it's like, you know, it's so confusing.
0: Let me ask this to kind of step back a little bit. And, and it's it sounds like your experience in Maine and in New Hampshire was a lot different as far as you know, night and day you said, but mm-hmm. overall, like your entire career, you know, because you started in oh eight, right? Yes. What what are kind of the big changes that you've seen in your opinion? Good and bad?
1: Bad. Well, the guy with the crown vic.
0: Rest in peace. Do we need to play Sarah mclaughlin That might be think...
1: a little much. Do we? Should we?
0: All right, let's do it.
1: Well you know what?
0: It. I'm gonna. You know what? We're gonna do one better. I really should have the stuff clipped, but <laughs> poorly made. We've landed on an uncharted planet. There's something out there. Okay, look, Adam Driver. <laughs>
1: you need to be
0: quiet. This movie actually and... looks kind of interesting. Have you seen it, like the commercials for it, where it's like Adam Driver like goes back in time to see dinosaurs? I don't
1: know. I have not.
0: All right, this is for the Crown Vic being gone. I close my eyes Only for a moment, and the moment's gone um, So no Crown Vic is bad. What else?
1: Um. So there's a huge push. This way, to do like uh, bail reform, that was bad. You have people committing crimes that they used to be held for at the jail, just getting PR bail now, where it's basically like you pay the $40 fee or $6 fee, and then you get a court date and you walk away free. Bail reform has like definitely not been great. COVID, when COVID hit, it affected the jails. So you could arrest people and the jail wouldn't take them. Literally get into a foot chase with somebody and tackle them, and tase them and arrest them for stuff. And then just be, oh, here's a court date. Have a good day. Cause the jail won't take you. See, it's, it's hard for me up here because like I said, New Hampshire and Maine have always, what I've seen in just in my experience was usually like very like pro police. I don't know what changed in the other parts of the country. Um, Like, I don't know what happened out your way.
0: I wanted to talk about bail reform a little bit, which is kind of a topic we've talked about. I don't know, maybe in passing on the podcast. I won't spend too much time on it now. But I get the argument where people are like, yeah, people shouldn't be sitting in jail for nonviolent, stupid offenses. Okay. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Let's give them a ticket, right? At the same time, yeah, I don't know. Like, I know there's agencies that'll arrest people for driving suspended. That was like unheard of where I worked. Um, but I know that's a that's a big thing, parts of the country. Okay, you know, maybe we can talk about stuff like that. But you know, when you have habitual criminals, right? You have people that are just going to go back out and commit crime. I get the purpose of bail is to ensure people are going to go to court. I totally understand that. I get that. But I think there needs to be some common sense with that because honestly, you know, you see people that have six or seven warrants and then you take them and the next day they're out bonded out on all of them. It's like, well, yeah. I think they're going to show up. They had six or seven warrants or like,
1: In Maine, we have this thing where it's, you know, the court can impose bill conditions. If you have contact with law enforcement and you are violating those bill conditions, you will get charged with violent conditions of release. But it got to the point where if it's not the felony level, they wouldn't take them. So you keep doing the same people, getting them for the misdemeanor, you know, VCOR covid was happening our jail wouldn't take them so it was a constant you know okay well you violated your conditions here's a court date we'll come back and we'll do this again two weeks later oh you violated it jail still won't take you um here's your court date don't do it again and it was a vicious cycle of it but usually if you get Conditions of release, if you commit like a DV or something, the underlying charge was a DV. Well, then at least that way you can get held. But for the most part, these people that we kept dealing with, it was all for like drugs or it was like something not DV related. So you could never keep them.
0: Yeah. It just got to be this thing that was beyond silly, at least for me, is you would go out and do what you're supposed to do, what you're trained to do, what the law says you could do. And then Mm You you know you could get into a fight with somebody and then they're right back out. Yep. And I started to question, well, like I and I and this has always been a thing, right? You you know sometimes all you can do is take them to jail, but I started to question, especially on these these frequent flyers and stuff, where I knew they were just going to get right out. Why am I getting into a fight with somebody over something that I'm just going to point the blame and say society doesn't care about because they're just going to let them out and give them a court date and they're not really going to be, there's no penalties for anything anymore. So I, I saw it as kind of a losing battle. This is a a weird jump, but did you see the video out of Shreveport? This recent thing that just happened. I have not. Okay. So it actually, I haven't seen it to be that big of a deal on social media, which is strange. Basically. I think within the last couple of weeks, they get called to a DV or something guy answers the door and immediately he's like, well, I'm going to go put my dogs away or something. And he starts to go into the house. Right. For me, as a, you know, my experience and training in law enforcement, that's a concern when you have somebody at the door, you're asking them to come out and step with, talk with you. And they're going inside to me that that raises some red flags as far as weapons and things like that. Um. Mm-hmm. So the guy, he goes into the house, and then he ends up running into his bedroom and jumping off a balcony, and they get in a foot chase with the guy, right? It's a, a pretty short foot chase. They go outside, and the guy kind of gets, a, or I assume, around a corner from him. It's kind of hard to tell angles on the video. And what I surmise from watching the video is one of the officers comes across the guy, it startles him, and he shoots him and kills him. Uh, it's kind of hard to watch because the guys, you know, you're watching a guy die. Um, my personal opinion, and based on what they charged him, I don't think the cop meant to shot shoot the guy, mm-hmm. but he did. And to me, it's it's pretty open and shut as far as like that's a negligent type homicide, whatever you call it in your state. You know, he wasn't. Yeah, there was no reason to shoot him at that point.
1: Yeah, there um, was right based- no it was yeah, just based
0: like- on what I've seen, right? Like yeah. there there could be maybe more to it, you know, maybe he was diving into his waistband, I don't know. It it didn't that wasn't the information put out. But just based on that information, let's just pretend that's it. I've seen some cop pages post about it, and I think there's definitely an argument to be made about, you know, chasing people with your gun out, I think you're kind of asking for NDs and stuff like that. Now, it depends on circumstance, but Maybe, maybe not. Do you have your gun out when you're chasing somebody? Depends on the crime. Um, depends on the other things. But, I mean, it's something to think about. I worked in a snowy environment sometimes, you know, trip on ice and crank a round off or whatever. But there was a lot of people saying, well, he had no right to chase the guy or I wouldn't chase somebody in this type of environment. Which based on, let me just ask you, based on what I told you, DV call um, and the guy takes off running in a perfect world, you would chase after him, right? Yeah. Okay. All day. Yes. So, but what has happened and I'm not necessarily blaming these cop pages. I'm just trying to make a point is we've kind of gotten into the mental gymnastics of everything, which I think you kind of have to based on the environment guys are saying, well, you don't even know what your crime is. Why would you chase this guy? Or if it's a DV, you know who he is, just go get a warrant, which is insane, but I also understand where they're coming from. But it kind of ties in all to this like bail reform type shit where why are you doing what you're going to do when you know they're just going to get out? Why are you risking your life for this potentially or risking injury? You know, you know, anytime you use force, potentially, if it ends up being yeah.
1: a and you could get re- hurt. In our area, and I, and I don't know about where you are, but the big thing now is like you have somebody that is intoxicated, making suicidal comments. They're by themselves. They may be armed in their house by themselves. Back in the day, that used to be like a barricade, set up a perimeter, to try to talk them out. And now it's mostly just like, well, you know, he's no harm to anybody else. It's just him. He's in his house. He's drunk. It's not worth the risk. And then back off the house and follow up later.
0: I don't necessarily disagree <laughs> with that. I wouldn't, I would on stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's gotten away from even trying to talk him out. Um, but I, I, I get the idea of not forcing a confrontation. But, like if he's alone in the house by himself,
1: I would but not send when cops. When I started, away. when I started, we would literally set up the perimeter and then get him out of the house, you know? And that's something that's changed. That from when I first started, it was like, okay, this guy just touched off around in his house. He's by himself. He's suicidal, middle of nowhere. Okay, we'll set up a perimeter, SWAT team, call him out, get him out of the house, what have you. But now it's, they've gone away from that to this more like, you know, okay, well, he's there, he's by himself. He's not a danger, anybody will back off and we will figure it out in a few hours when he's uh, sobered up.
0: Yeah, that's always a tough one, too, because he can go very quickly from not being a danger to somebody to being a mm-hmm. danger to somebody because everybody's mobile these days, right? Everybody's got a car. Yep.
1: Everybody's got But, that, the, that but that's one of the things that has definitely changed that I've noticed. I don't know if that's just because of signs of the time now where over the last several years but
0: what are some good things that you've noticed over the last several years some good things <laughs> silence that- <laughs> is golden <laughs> yeah
1: no i'm thinking because 15 years is a long time i know when i first started like the whole tact med thing like that wasn't ever taught you know we weren't getting classes on like anything beyond simple first aid, you know, you maybe get like a little like blip in the academy on how to like first aid, but lately they've been coming out with like uh, casualty care, combat care, stuff like that. Um, We actually just got um, IFACs for us at work. Um, We had some grant money. Every officer now has an IFAC, which is great. Um, I guess it's good that we have that stuff now, but the reasons we need them now are bad, I guess. Um, that's something that I've seen that's been for the better part. Because the first few years, I never had a tourniquet. And, you know, you never thought about it. And then finally, like, was it 2013? They finally started giving us, like, you know, TAC med classes and everything else. Um, technology's come a long way. The days of writing out a summons by hand have now come and gone. You can just scan in someone's driver's license and print it out.
0: That's a sad thing for me, man. There was something special about scratching out a ticket. But I guess you just can't do that anymore.
1: Well, we still do it where I work because we haven't got the printers yet. But um, But when I I was leaving New Hampshire, it was just scan it in and
0: Well, <laughs> this is uh, this is for hand jamming tickets. Oh my dreams pass before my eyes in curious...
1: Okay. <laughs> Enough of that. I actually used to I actually used to write like garbage in school and then actually having my tickets up by hand has actually like improved my penmanship. <laughs> Cause I'm like O C D and I gotta make sure that like it's actually legible and it's eventually like transferred over to like my personal life now so that's good.
0: I tried very hard to write legibly but it's it's not perfect. I I always joke that if uh if I applied in a time where you couldn't type reports like if I had to handwrite reports and affidavits and stuff there was no way anyone on earth was going to hire me as a cop. It just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> So thanks, technology. Yeah. Now, I I know maybe your opinions may be a little bit skewed, but because you said it's kind of night and day in Maine. Is it, do you think the environment overall is better in Maine? Like is Maine a better place to be a cop overall than New Hampshire?
1: Yeah, I think the big thing was like micromanaging and stuff. I mean, maybe that's just like, I don't have that where I'm at now, which is nice. But traditionally, um, micromanaging and like being uptight was the theme in New Hampshire. Um,
0: At all the agencies or just the ones you worked at?
1: Just not all of them, but some of them. Um, I know that when I came to my agency now from New Hampshire, they were like, oh, another New Hampshire guy. They've had a few bad instance with with um new hampshire people coming over just from like not from the patrol level but from like the level of like administration and like micromanaging and all that um i feel like it's definitely more cop friendly where i work now compared to where i used to work
0: would you say in your humble opinion that the job is dead no really
1: I I don't think surprises me for a
0: salty vet.
1: Yeah, so within the last couple years, um, I've been doing a lot of the crisis intervention team stuff. Um, I don't think the job's dead. I like that aspect of my job, and I also I've been an FTO in every department that I've actually worked for, and um, it's nice to like. I'm salty in some ways. But I am doing a disservice to one of my trainees if I carry that over to them and basically act like the job's dead. Because every trainee I get is probably coming into this career thinking that the same way that I was thinking when I started. You know what? You want to be there. You're excited. And, you know, I have to show them that the job isn't dead. Because if I show them my trainee that the job is dead... They're going to have a long 25 years.
0: That was not a very salty answer of you. I'm very proud of you.
1: I know. Some things I'm salty on, and other things I'm not. And like I said, you know, I like, I like doing the crisis intervention stuff and I like doing the FTO stuff. Those are my two things that I actually enjoy about going to work.
0: Have you noticed a change in the, the recruits? Over the last 15 years, or I, I assume you didn't FTO the whole time, but a chunk of the time.
1: At least for the last 10 years. Yeah. I, I've noticed a little bit. I've noticed that we've had the younger they get. I feel like, I don't know if it's like a society thing. Cause I don't want to say Gen Z anymore because after the podcast today, um, I have had a couple of situations where like you would feel like the trainee would wait for you to pick up the slack and take over for them. Um, Do the bare minimum, not do any kind of extra work to it or think the way through the problem and just basically look to you to, you know, take over. Um, I've had that a few times, but other than that, that's the only big thing I can think of. I will say that I have been lucky. I've always had trainees that, you know, you tell them if we're not on the road, or eating dinner your face is in a book and you're studying you're asking questions you're doing the right thing i can honestly say that i've never had a bad trainee no cap nope
0: she's
1: i've been lucky a
0: little embarrassed by that, that that just came out of my mouth
1: i've had one issue with one that basically was like Okay, we appreciate your input, but they're gonna go with somebody else. Okay, they cleared FTO, and then they were like forced to resign in like two years because we way they handled themselves on a call. I've had that happen for the most part. What I've had, a, I'm pretty sure it's still in law enforcement.
0: Oh, my brain just stopped working. I had a question for you. It's all good. Fuck, fuck, fuck. it's because I was looking at Vermont on a map, and then I saw Bermuda. And I zoomed in on it and I lost my train of thought. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I know what I was going to ask. And this is something I'm going to try and ask when I do these type of podcasts, which is, you know, a cop, but I was curious, what are the main issues facing Maine lawn? (laughs) The main issues fishing. (laughs) I can't even say it. The main issues facing Maine.
1: Um, There was a big issue within the last couple of years this they try to get rid of uh qualified immunity they pushed to get rid of that they got shot down that was a big thing um and i remember it was going on because the instructor for our crisis intervention training her husband is a sergeant in a different jurisdiction And she was saying about that and how they were passing along that they wanted all the spouses and family to go to the hearing up in Augusta to speak against qualified, against getting rid of qualified immunity. So that happened, that got shot down. And then there was another push recently as well of basically saying that, um, you know, we can no longer stop vehicles for minor infractions like inspection. Uh, expired registration, uh, cracked windshields, and stuff like that. That also got shot down. Um, those are the two things that recently happened since I've been there.
0: I've never really understood this push to like, I mean, the whole pretext stop thing, like, you yeah. know, you can't stop people for this or that. Why?
1: Then take it off the books. Keeping politics out of this, it is, the Northeast is generally very blue. And I think the reasoning behind that, getting rid of the inspection, the registration, the defective equipment stops, was basically to... They figured out that most of our contacts come from motor vehicle stops, and most of the arrests come from motor vehicle stops. So that was their kind of way of saying, "Well, we take these away, then the police won't be getting their arrests; they won't be bringing people into the system." There we have it.
0: Uh, I just it boggles my mind. Have people tried? I don't know. Not speeding, stopping. Yeah. Fucking having registration. Can we try those ideas? Is that yeah, fucking I mean, insane?
1: Yeah. Do you think I want to fork out several dollars every year for my registration for my car? No. Do I do it? Yeah. It's not hard. Follow the rules.
0: Yeah. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. It makes my brain hurt and it uh, makes me unreasonably angry. Mm-hmm. So I just decided to stop uh, trying to understand it. And um, usually booze makes me feel better, but I can't do that. So here <laughs> we are.
1: No, I'm being good tonight. I'm only having one. Good for you. I know.
0: Well, let's do this. Let's uh, let's do our officer of the podcast so I make sure that I do not neglect that because I don't want to be a bad person. As you guys know, the uh, officer of the podcast is... Made possible by Ghostpatch. They generously donated some patches. And the only way you can get a patch is if you're nominated and win the officer of the podcast. Friendly reminder, I'm starting to run low on them, And I don't want to fire off a cranky thing on Facebook. So uh, nominate your buddies and friends that are doing good work and are not being recognized. Or do really badass stuff and they need to be recognized more you can email me, poorly made police memes at gmail.com or DM me on Facebook and Instagram. All right, another winner by Blankety Blank. I wanted to nominate an officer for you. Officer Blankety Blank is an officer in a city in blank atutius. Uh, one of the best cops I've ever worked with. He goes out of his way to encourage and support his shift mates he always has the backs of every single officer he's working with he's motivated ambitious and intelligent i trust him more than any cop i've worked with on and off the street he's just one of those cops that gets it on and off the job do you think he deserves a t-rex hand clap or air horns
1: Uh, i'm gonna say air horns
0: well done officer blankety blank there was something i was mad about before we started recording and i was going to bring it up but i forgot to write it down it's unfortunate series of events maybe maybe it'll come to me as we do my dumb questions what is the stupidest thing you did as a rookie
1: (laughs) then i put my car in park on a traffic stop (laughs) how far did it go uh, to the point when my asshole puckered and I had to step on the brake and go off the steering wheel. Yep. That was the dumbest thing I've done when I was an FTO. I've
0: done that a few th- times where I'm w- like jumping out of a car kind of thing and I mm-hmm. have one foot like on the ground and I realize the car is moving and luckily I've still been in the car when I've realized that the car is rolling and so I don't fucking hit anything. But I'm kind of surprised I haven't. Because I get a little excited
1: sometimes. Yeah, we actually were talking about that at work a couple days ago. We were all talking about how like, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody in here has got out of the car and not put it in the park. And sure, sure. We're like, yep, done that. It's been a few years for me, knock on wood.
0: God, give me a second. I'm trying to think of the fucking thing. God, I wish I wrote it down. I looked at Bermuda, it fucked everything up.
1: It's a damn triangle.
0: It is. Yeah. Remember, we used to talk about the beer. That used to be a bigger deal, right? We used to talk about the Bermuda triangle, and now it's like a non issue. Is it not dangerous anymore? What happened?
1: It's probably not triangle anymore. It's It's not like the Bermuda square, maybe.
0: It identifies as an octagon now.
1: Yes. Triangles are too harsh,
0: they have too many points. They're very scary and dangerous.
1: It no longer identifies itself that way.
0: What is something you wish you knew as a young cop? Like something you wish you learned in FTO or the academy, but you know it now.
1: I wish that when I first started that there's no need to rush through calls. Um, You get paid by the hour. Um, The call only goes as fast as you want it to go, depending on on, on the situation. It probably took me the better part of you know three years before I got that hint. And it was I forget what I was doing it was a call. I was like running around. And one of the supervisors at the time was like, What are you doing? I'm like, I gotta talk to this person. I gotta do this. He's like, You get paid by the hour. You still got six hours left in your shift, like slow it down. It's only gonna go as fast as you want it to go. And I wish I knew that when I first started out because it would have saved me so much anxiety.
0: I got to go on a rant about that because I completely agree with that. My My old agency, that really wasn't what we were taught. And part of the problem was, and, and I hate doing this like, well, big city guy. Like I didn't work in the biggest city ever, but we, you know, we definitely had our problems and it was, it was high call volume type of thing. But I call it like high speed policing, right? You know, you would go to a call and you you would try to get through it as quick as you could, not out of laziness, but because you knew there was more stuff going on that you had to go get to, or potentially there could be more stuff going on, so you're just trying to get through it. Where I think in a smaller area where you don't have quite the same call volume, I hopefully you recognize. Well, let me stay, take a step back because I think, honestly, even in these big areas, big cities where there's a bunch of calls pending, they should fucking wait. People can wait.
1: Oh, yeah, and they can. Call,
0: and calls should be handled correctly. And if people don't like waiting, then they should hire more cops. Exactly. I,
1: For me, no, plus, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, sorry. For me personally, I'd rather take my time then and there, get all the information that I need, because I would rather write a complete report and then not have to waste time doing follow-ups because I rushed through something and it came up fucked up like polio, you know? So.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was a jump, but yeah. But
1: But like, I take my you know, i take, I like to take my time and get everything there. And, and I'm trying to explain it to all, all my trainees. I had one gentleman that was like, go, 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 go. And I had to tell him that like numerous times, like just slow it down because now we have to go back and do follow-ups because you rushed through it and didn't ask the right questions. And I can't have you turn this report in the way it is now because <laughs> you're going to look stupid.
0: I remember um, i worked with a guy that was very like a really, really good investigator. Um, And he ended up going to detectives, figure that out. But we were on a call and it was kind of fucked up. So, and I wish I could remember all the details, but it was one of those ones where it was going to take some time to get through it. Um, Might even been a shooting or something. I don't remember. It was something semi-serious, but the sergeant, was like kind of in his ear like hey are you done yet are we done with these guys can we go kind of thing and my buddy's like about to fucking lose his mind he's like this is my fucking job to talk to these guys and figure out what's going on we have time like fucking calm down kind of thing um (laughs) it and i to go on another tangent and i'm not trying to pick on people i i know there's people that get into law enforcement for the high speed stuff i i totally get that but you got to know when to turn it off a little bit and know that you have to kind of, all right, we got to we gotta dig our heels in real quick here and, and do some good investigating. The traffic stops await. So we'll have to get them later or maybe even tomorrow. We may have to go get that car tomorrow, but right now we're dealing with this. And that's part of that same thing you were saying is like taking the time on the call. But it like that shit would drive me nuts as people would leave calls early just so they could go do what they perceive to be fun instead of doing what their fucking job is.
1: Yeah, totally. Like, I, I mean, I think we've all worked for a department that's probably had one or two people that would just take their time on a call just to basically kill time and avoid doing their job. Um, but for the most part, like, I wish it was explained to me when I started that, like, get the information now take your time you get paid by the hour. Cause when I was told that, you know, three years into my job, I was like blown away. I was like, I literally never thought of this. And it totally changed the way that I did my job. Um, taking the time, getting all the information, writing a good report, saved me so much heartburn. It was amazing.
0: Holy fuck. I forgot about this, this story. So This even cements even more the way I was taught, uh, which I I disagree with. And this story comes from FTO. And it was actually, I liked this FTO. This guy was a great FTO. But I remember we were, I want to say it was the 4th of July. And some big fucked up call where shots fired and, you know, pandemonium, who the fuck knows what's going on. And we end up at the hospital. And I'm talking to this guy and I'm trying to, you know, calm him down so I can kind of get information. And I, I say something along the lines of, Hey man, don't worry. We're not in a rush. We got time. I get paid by the hour. It's not a big deal. And my FTO pulls me aside later. He's like, no, man, we, we, I want to be done with this. <laughs> it's like, fuck. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's something agencies hopefully are kind of learning that that doesn't work. I mean, like, I remember being in briefing, shortly before i left so this is more recent stuff and the lieutenant was like hey guys i know we're short-staffed i know there's a lot of calls pending work through your calls do a good job do a good investigation the calls will wait don't worry about it and later that day a few hours later he's getting people on a tac channel why they're knee deep in a fucking train wreck soup sandwich going hey are you guys done with that one i need you on the next one Don't do that if you're boss. Don't fucking do that. If you're so concerned about it, you go fucking answer the
1: call, LT. How about that? I've never had that experience. Um, Like I said, I've been lucky enough to work for small departments where, like, you know, you can get away with, like, not rushing around. I mean, I can probably count on both hands how many times I've, like, started a shift, like, with more than one call backed up. That sounds
0: amazing, by the way.
1: Oh, it is. I got friends that work in one of the bigger cities in our state they'll start their midnight shift, you know, 10, 15 calls already backed up. Thankfully I don't have to deal with that. But
0: I feel like if I got into back into law enforcement out in these parts of the world, I would probably go stir crazy. Just being what I'm used to, you know, having a bunch of fucking calls pending or the potential for calls to be pending to like, you know, a couple calls a a day. I would be, I feel like that hasn't been something that's come up and maybe it will in the past or in the future. If it came up in the past, it'd be weird, but it would come up in the future is maybe I'll talk to somebody that's moved from the big city to a smaller agency. Like, I know it's one thing to go from, you know, the big city, but then go to like a suburban department where you're still, still kind of busy. But then I would say like, it's probably a different level to go to like the middle of nowhere where it's, you know, One or two cops on duty and maybe a couple calls a shift.
1: Oh, yeah. So, like, my second department that I worked at when I was by myself on night shifts, we weren't as busy as my first PD. But I swear, like, when it went off, it was like a disaster. Like, we didn't have the same call volume. But like we had the propensity when it was like slow for you know a couple months just to have like an absolute shit show happen. Um that was I know it's like a city life where it's like back to back to back to back, but like we can have like weeks of nothing and then all of a sudden like then all of a sudden it just like blows up and it's like, Holy shit, I'm by myself, what do I do? Um that happened a lot.
0: And you didn't Like you said, there was, I mean, sometimes the neighboring agencies would come and cover hopefully on those, but sometimes not. Yeah.
1: So I had a, I want to say it was Labor Day weekend. I remember I was making my rounds, working 6P to 6A by myself. I see this red pickup truck go like flying by me on one of the roads by the lake. He was going like 16 over. I was like, yeah, whatever. I don't want to stop him just driving along like five minutes goes by and I get a call like, Hey, can you go back to the station? There's a subject at the front door that wants to speak to you. Okay. Well, I get back to the station. It's the same red truck. And the guy was like hysterical. He's like, my buddy was at my lake house. You know, he ultimately ended up killing himself. Um, And I'm by myself having to deal with it. And by the time I get there, it's like pitch black. Well, the way it came in was that his buddy had hung himself. So I had to clear the house by myself. And it was like seven o'clock at night. At this point, it was dark out. And my backup was like 40 minutes away. I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to go in and do it myself. So that was, that was fun.
0: I mean, at least the guy in there was already dead.
1: Yeah, but see, his friend had cut him down, and he was already oh. stiff. He was on his knees on the floor.
0: He was on his knees?
1: Yeah, because he was, like, he was, like, an office chair, and he was, like, already stiff. So, like, he was cut, but he was, like, his legs were locked with his feet behind his back, basically. Dude, that's fucked up. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, trust <laughs> me, I, it was. Imagine going on the corner and seeing that. Just let it. Oh. What the fuck!
0: Yeah. No. Wait a second. I have a sound for that. That's uh, dead people in interesting situ or interesting positions is always. It's funny, but it's not. You know. What
1: yeah. the fuck? No.
0: <laughs> that should be the. That should be a new question on thing. What is the weirdest position you found a dead guy before?
1: That can well be- you. Well, I mean, usually it's like in the bathroom between the toilet and the bed and in the tub. It's usually in like the smallest areas in the house. I was expecting this guy to be there in the middle of the living room, like rigged on his knees.
0: I had a guy, and and forgive me, folks, if I've said this on the podcast, I can't remember at this point. Um, I had a guy that was rigged on a toilet which I know I've, I've heard that's the thing, right? But that God, that's going to be such a shitty way to go. But what's fucked up about that call is so the call came in from like the guy's employer. It's like, Hey, you know, he didn't show up to work today. So we just want you to check on him, which we were kind of like, so he didn't fucking come to work, leave him alone kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So we go knock on the door. Nobody answers. And we're like, sweet. And it was out of my out of my beat i was just you know doing somebody a favor kind of thing because they were tied up and as we're driving away about to hit that magical clear button guy comes out waving at us he's like hey were you knocking on the door and i said yeah are you so and so no 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 that's my uh that's my roommate like have you seen him today he goes no i haven't um well you know his his employer called and they just want to make sure he's okay Uh, can we come in and just go check on him yeah sure so this guy and all I asked him to do was just kind of take me to his room type deal. And, you know, cause I think there's still kind of some with a, a rental and they're sharing or they have their own rooms or maybe some fourth amendment issues kind of thing. So it's just going to knock on his door or whatever. Well, this, I told him, I was like, Hey man, just show me where his room is. I'll I'll knock on his door. And uh, the guy just goes right into his room and goes into the bathroom and he's like, Hey I don't remember the guy's name. Hey, Bill, 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 are you okay? So I go in there and I'm like, Oh yeah, this dude dead. Right. So, but I have to kind of do like, you know, act like I'm going to check on him because you know, the guy's right there and I'm like, all right, I'm going to check on him. You know, back off. He's, you know, he's fucking dead. He's been dead for a little while, but yeah. God, again, shitty, shitty way to go. But here's, here's the best part of the story, which is the worst part of the story, but the best part of the story, I felt obligated to call the employer, um, the, the, on this call that and i called the guy and i said hey did you call you wanted to check on bill and he goes oh yeah yeah thanks a lot sorry to bug you you know we normally don't do this but actually you know unfortunately a couple weeks ago we had an employee not show up for a couple days and we didn't think anything of it and it turned out he died so we you know we've made this kind of a new thing is if people don't show up we're gonna ask the cops to come check on them kind of deal and i i probably audibly chuckled when he said that, because I said, like, "Well, it happened again." Unfortunately, Bill has passed. Um, So yeah, that's uh, that's one of my favorite death stories. Rest Don't in peace, Bill. Something. Actually, you know why we're why we're talking about that. Curiosity. In the wind. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay. Uh, well, uh- Every time I have a well-being check and it's been like days that they've seen the person, first thing you always do is I check the mailbox. If there's no mail in the mailbox, I feel a little bit better. If it's stacked full of mail, I'm like, well, here we go. This isn't going to be good.
0: You know, I, I, I've i made the best out of dead people, but I, I fucking still hate dead people, man. I hate going on dead people yeah. calls. It's the worst.
1: Yeah. Check the mailbox.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, here's the thing is, you know, they're not going to be a problem. They're just going to lie there. They're not going to do or kneel there. They're not going to do anything. But I would almost just rather go on that DV where they don't know how to act because it's, you know, I don't know, dead people. But mm-hmm. what do you, would you say is the proudest moment of your career?
1: Proudest moment was, I ended up getting an award from the union leader. It's one of the newspapers in New Hampshire. It was a hero's award. I got that at the state house with the governor. And it wasn't because I got the award. It was two reasons. One, it was actually... One of my co-workers, acquaintances that had perished in these circumstances on how I got the award, saying to me, thank you for trying. And then the second part was my grandmother being able to come to the state house and experience that day with me. Um, I was always, I've always been close with my grandparents. My grandfather passed when I was in MP school and uh, my grandmother passed a couple of years ago. So for her to experiment, experience that award with me meant the world to me. That's my most proud part of my career so far.
0: That's cool, man. Can you talk about the call or what it docks you?
1: It wouldn't dox me. I'll keep but you guys out of it. But it was basically um, a fire call. Um, I ended up going to the call, saw flames coming off from underneath the trailer. It was like an old trailer, like maybe built in like the 70s, like went up like a matchstick. Um, somebody was inside, tried to get in the trailer um but he was a hoarder. I remember I booted the door, went in the house maybe a couple feet, and then there was no way I was gonna get into him and get him out of the house at the same time. Um, so that was a tough decision to make because you know someone's in the house, the trailer's already too far gone. but if I he's a hoarder, if I know if I go in any further, I'll do stuff, I, I'm not coming out myself. Um, but I just got to the point where it was like too hot and the smoke was too bad. I backed out. Um, he ended up perishing in the fire. Um, but yeah, that was then, that was a tough night for me. Cause I remember I got a ride to the hospital after I had to go get checked out, coughing up black shit, went home. I remember I just like had a bottle of Jameson. I'm like, I need a drink. Like, that sucked. To be, like, that close. And, like, not do anything for the person inside there. Like, it was it fucking sucked, man. So, I remember at that night, I had a couple drinks. And months went by. And then I get notified about the award. And I was like, huh. Like, I don't need that. That's great. But... I mean I couldn't save the guy. So that was that was what I got the award for. And it was I was the only one there that received the award when the person that they were saving didn't make it. So yeah, that was that night.
0: Fires are tough, man, because cops generally I I felt like anyway always beat the fire department to the call. But we don't have we don't got shit, right?
1: No, and And that's the thing that fire department was full time during the day. This was like one, two o'clock in the morning. You know, I was the first one there and it was just nothing I could have done. Like, and the fire marshal told me, he's like, had you gone in that house, you weren't coming out. And I was like, right. But it just sucks to be that close and not be able to do anything.
0: Yeah. But, you know, ultimately you made
1: the right call. Yeah, totally. But I mean, it's just in that in that one instance of being like so close yet so far. But what ended up happening was, I guess, he was down on his luck. He was basically um, running a uh, little charcoal stove in his living room area to stay warm. And apparently some ashes has fallen off and gotten the floor and an old 1970s trailer home all wooden glue just took right off so that sucks
0: yeah i think that's um i don't know it's hard sometimes but you know we've seen like the blue canary memes type thing uh you know we don't have the proper equipment to go into those things it's it's fucking yeah. tough like you want to go in and, and help like i remember one time i went in on an apartment fire and I didn't get very far at all. Like I I mean, I barely got into the hallway and I was like, I'm gonna die. <laughs> like, I'm what am I doing? Like, I'm not gonna help anybody. I'm just gonna be an extra body for them to carry out. So I, I fucking yeah. left. And thankfully it ended up being, you know, nobody got hurt or anything, and everybody had gotten out and all that stuff and up being a, a nothing burger, so to speak. But it's uh that's tough, man. How are you dealing with that now? Does it bug you at all or are you doing all right?
1: No, I'm good. I'm good with it. Um, no, I'm good. Um, when for me personally, I've always had good like resources to go to for stuff. But yeah, I'm good. I know that we had, I don't know if your department did it, but where I'm at now, anytime there's like something traumatic that happens on shift, they'll run a debriefing. I don't know if you had that where you worked, but that's huge, man. I remember um, when I had my daughter back in 2015, I took three weeks off from work. And my first week back on duty, I had a Sid's case with a girl the same age as my daughter. And uh, mom rolled over on her, literally the same age as as my daughter and there was like nothing it was just like all right bring them back to the station and we'll talk to them and mom's a wreck, dad's a wreck get them back to the station there was no like hey are you okay i just like and i will admit it like i cried when outside i don't get mad at me i punched the cruiser it was a crown vic um, the
0: crown vic is there for your your support okay
1: yeah. So I punched the cruiser, went home, end of shift, talked to my talked to my to my wife at the time. And that was it. There was no follow up of like, hey, you know, there's none of that, but you know, I talked to other people, whatever, and but it's nice now though that like the mental health aspect of us has come a long way. You know what I'm saying? So It's nice to work for a department that recognizes like, okay, you went through this experience. Everybody deals with it differently, but we're going to have a debrief and people come in. We're all going to talk about it. And dude, that's huge. Like that was night and day compared to what we got when I first started.
0: You know what? You fucking reminded me of the thing I wanted to talk about in this story. What I was going to say and what I was kind of thinking about today um, and it has to do with, you know, mental health and stuff. I think a lot of people, like if you went back and listened to me in their early episodes to now, I, I don't know, I, I, maybe I'll listen to it and I, I won't think it, but I, I, at least for me, my perception is, is I'm in a much better place than I was a year and a half ago and like a 10 times better place than I was when I left. And so I, I think, you know, mental health stuff it's just something we have to deal with and kind of face head on and it's really good that we can actually kind of talk about these things in the open you tell me if i'm an asshole or not because this might be an asshole thing to say but i feel like and it's hard to say this and take this with a grain of salt and hopefully people understand what i'm i'm trying to say here because i it might come off harsher than i i intend but I think sometimes people use that almost to a crutch, and I'm not saying like I'm I'm not saying it's uh, not okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay, but I I feel like sometimes people use um things that have happened to them as an excuse to be a bad person or not to move on in life.
1: Oh, yeah, and that no. was the rant I was
0: going to go on. I'm curious what your take is
1: no and like you know what i will totally agree with it so so i do the crisis intervention stuff and i like it know some people are like oh you want to do that whatever you know you're just going to deal with all the all of like the mental health people whatever that's fine so i went through an experience when i was overseas in which i was on the wrong end of a mortar shitty day worked through my problems talked about it once in a while you know we're on the anniversary date I get kind of bummed out but I've always been able to work through it and talk to somebody and figure it out now one of the first fights I've ever been in when I was an FTO was with a drunk girl she hit me in the face with a purse she kicked she spit got her in handcuffs, had like 11 or 12 charges on her, all got dropped. She went to the court, played the victim card, oh, I have trauma, whatever, did this, 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 and this, all charges got dropped. And she committed jailable offenses for assaulting an officer. I think that's what you're getting at from that aspect of people using that as an out to basically be a shitbag and to like basically break the law and then come back and say, I have this going on.
0: Yes. it, it almost honestly, well, I, I think there are, it's tough because I guess we're talking about this and I'm kind of trying to work through this. I mean, like, I, I think you see there's some people that come back from overseas and they're just fucked, man. Like, I'm sure you've seen it and you, you know, Oh, totally. Like, I can't tell you
1: how many times, like I've been on calls with veterans going sideways and I'm the one that can talk to them because I've been in the service. I've done that aspect. And that's kind of why like I put in to go through the crisis stuff because I have that life experience so I can talk to people and basically like assimilate myself with them and what they're going through. And, you know, with the veteran community, I have had several interactions where like, you know what? They didn't want to go to the hospital for an eval. They were combative, but then I show up and they're like, talk to me. And then they're like, Oh, you're in the military too. Cool. Well, I'll go. You go with me. So I would ride in the back of the ambulance and just basically keep them calm and talk to them until we got to the hospital. So that's been the, that's one of the reasons why I got into the crisis stuff is just to help out with that aspect of like mental health and mental wellness and everything else.
0: Yeah. And and it's, this is kind of a hard subject to talk about just because it's kind of, you don't want to pigeonhole anything, right? You know, like little drunk girl, we've all had shitty things happen in our lives. Obviously some way worse than other people, but yeah. it doesn't give you an excuse to you know, hit a cop. Same with the veteran, Nope. right? With nope. Yeah, dude, I'm so thankful for your service, but that doesn't give you a right to fight oh a cop. But nope. I also I think we also have to kind of like recognize sometimes maybe the culpability is not there because people are so far gone, which I think may be something a little different that I'm talking about. I, I think the point I kind of wanted to get across, um, and I, I'm not, I don't want to come across as holier than now because I'm certainly not perfect at this point and I never will be, but I think I just don't, it's okay to not be okay. But I think you also have to like fucking take care of business kind of thing. And if you're not doing anything to become okay, like you're not taking any steps to be a better person and to be more in control and to be less anxious and to have less stress. That's on you too. Like I I think as a community, as as law enforcement and really as a, a society For anybody like we you know we got to be good to each other but
1: well totally it totally falls back on the individual person's responsibility to go and like figure it out talk to somebody get help you know there's resources out there i agree with you
0: yeah and, and i think that's the hard thing too is i i think at at some point you know everybody i i think we we've all been on that call right where you know, we'll give the speech to the drug addict, and a lot of times people are like, oh, they're not going to listen to you," and they might not. But I always, I always looked at it like maybe this is the time it gets through, right? And I can, I can help. But ultimately, you can't force a drug addict to get better, right? They have yep. to make that choice too. And I, I think that's when I'm talking mental stuff. I'm talking more low-level stuff. I'm not talking about people that obviously aren't in control of themselves i'm talking normal people like because we're all fucked up to to a certain extent um Mm -hmm. you have to make that decision to go and be better and to get better like no one's going to force you no one can force you to get better like that's something you have to do on your own kind of thing and i'm just i don't know how to quite articulate the point i'm getting to but i just But I, I I don't want people to lean on that too much. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm fucked up. So I can't, I can't be a good person today. Kind of thing. Like you may have those days and that's totally okay to like, Oh, I'm fucked up. So I'm going to eat a fucking candy bar today. All right, man. Yeah. I mean, that was me for about three years, but yeah.
1: But the mental health thing is such like a black hole. Like once you, you know what I'm saying? Like we can go off on this in like several different directions. We have, I learned so much about what I thought I knew going through that week-long training that like, it like blew my mind. It was like information overload. And like, you weren't looking at something the same way again. Like it literally changed my outlook on like mental health, mental wellness, mental illness, everything, you know, it gave me a broader outlook on things after going through that CIT class.
0: Since we're talking about it, I'm curious what your take is. Um, I did a podcast a little while ago with, um, with a staff assistant and I kind of brought up the point. I think people need to be institutionalized. Like I think we're failing a lot of people by basically, and and I'm speaking really a lot to the, the folks that are homeless that just I know there's some people that don't care and that's just the lifestyle they okay whatever but there's people out there that just cannot care for themselves and they can't function in society and we just basically let them live in the squalor nope. that have serious mental health issues like I think there's a lot of people that cannot function in our society what do you think about like bringing back institutions obviously not like in the 19 you know 40s where everybody's tied up and you know, all the horrible shit we heard about sanitariums, but maybe a newer, fresher take at that.
1: What do you think about that? I, mean, I think that'd be a good idea, um, especially up for our way. Like, there's a lot of people that are, like, mentally ill that, like, don't – they're literally mentally ill to the fact that they can't take care of themselves. Um, I had an instant recently where there's someone like that, but you refer them to the state, the state calls – State can't find them. So they're either like, A, okay, we tried to close it out. Or B, we talked to them. They don't want our services, but they're still kind of taking care of themselves. So we'll just call it good. I think we could benefit from something like that. Of like the people that are like seriously mental that need like a place to go. It'd be nice to see something work like that. You know, get them help, get them resources. Because one of the things that I've come to find out is like, obviously health insurance and not having it is a huge barrier for people i can't tell you how many times i've gone on a call with someone whether they were homeless or not homeless of they want the help but they don't have insurance and it's a barrier for them so they just basically either a self medicate with substances which you come to find that there's a lot of mental health issues that also involves substance abuse you know drugs alcohol what have you and stuff like that so that's one of the big things that i've come to find is it's lack of money lack of insurance and it's a huge barrier so maybe someplace that will actually you know not care about that stuff someday that'd be great but i get to see it
0: you you brought up going to cit and, and how it- change your perspective on things what do you think was your your single biggest takeaway
1: from that class my biggest thing was this so like we we've all gone to like the mental crisis call in the past and it's like yeah no this guy is just fucking crazy or you know oh this guy is just a hard is this guy just a you know a hardcore alcoholic that just wants to drink himself to death you know what and we've all just kind of passed it off And my biggest takeaway from that class was when I went to the class and they talked about how, like, usually accompanying some sort of mental health issue, there's either some, there's a dependency on some substance. And before that, I never thought about that. Um, I've had CIT cases in the past where there was an alcoholic, the guy literally drank himself at least one or two handles a day. And you started talking to him. And after the class, I was like, so do you have any, like, mental health issues? And then all of a sudden, he, like, rambles off, like, three things. And I was like, huh. So you're self-medicating. He didn't have um, access to help, didn't have insurance, whatever. So I referred him to the nonprofit And he's been doing good. He did fall off the wagon a couple of times, but for the most part, he's been doing good. And then I would go to another call like that. And then I would ask them the same thing of like, okay, so you are dependent on this. Do you have mental health issues? Yeah, I have this, 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 and this. Until I started engaging people more more in conversation, I started to realize that I'm seeing a substance abuse issue and a mental illness hand in hand more times than not and before that I never thought anything out that I thought like well oh, this guy is just you know a pissed drunk and we'll get him right to the hospital or we'll bring him to the jail for like to sober up but knowing what I know now is that looking back on calls in the past maybe that guy had a mental mental illness going on that wasn't treated and he was treating it through self medication because he couldn't afford treatment. He couldn't afford access to recovery. He didn't have health insurance and all that. That was my biggest takeaway from the entire class was knowing that like, usually with his mental illness, there's some dependency on some sort of substance.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, that, that makes sense. I think that's something that I haven't really spent a whole lot of time Thinking about, but I think you're definitely onto something there. Well, they're onto something, and you're onto something. Yeah,
1: no, and I mean, if you look at it, I'm sure it will definitely change how like you look at things because it, like I said, I just would take a drunk as a drunk at face value and not think anything of it, or someone that was like in mental crisis, not think anything of it until after that class where I started actually talking to them. It was, Open my eyes up so much more
0: now to change subjects and do a complete 180 would you want your kids to get into law enforcement
1: i would be okay with the fact of it my daughter is somewhere right now between i want to be a paramedic vet and a cop that's that's where she's at my son is into it he wants to be spider-man or a cop Um,
0: i would tell him to be spidey
1: just yeah totally yeah um Thinking but about, make I, sure
0: he gets bit by lots of spiders
1: yeah i mean i i'm not going to disprove of them becoming into law enforcement then again they're only seven and four so who's good, what's going to happen with this job in the next you know 15 years um <clears throat> but if they want to get into it i would let them get into it my dad growing up he was always a mechanic and he was always like i don't want you doing what i do for a living there's no money in it it's not a good income he's like don't do it but with my kids i wouldn't do that if my kids want to pursue a career in law enforcement i would let them do it 100
0: fair enough i feel like parents i'm not necessarily coming in defense of your dad but maybe that would like his way like ah, i don't want you to be me kind of thing and not you know, want want you to do better, kind of thing, but it's tough. You know,
1: because you can. Yeah. Well, you it's know, funny now because growing a good up, living, do that in some places. Well, early two thousands, growing up as a kid, I mean, the my 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 dad wasn't making a lot of money, right? It, he was a mechanic working on cars. He wasn't he wasn't self employed. He didn't own his business. But now you do the full one eighty to where we are now in twenty twenty two. Now mechanics are like making bank because they have a trade yeah you know it it did the complete flip you know 2008 when i become a cop it was like okay pays decent i get a good retirement it's steady employment it was like 30 people going for like one slot and now it's like nobody wants to do the job and my dad's a mechanic and people in his field are now catching up to where we're at as law enforcement depending on where you work because you have a trade
0: yeah that is uh it's interesting right because what 10 years ago everybody's like oh get into a computer learn how to code yeah um, all this stuff and i don't know i i would guess a lot of those spots are filled now and um now there's nobody that can fucking come fix your toilet or fix your car so it's
1: you no, know, strange But strange I strange. got a degree in political science Or whatever they do nowadays And that's my big thing Like I want to go back to school But I don't know what I want to go back to school for You know I started towards a degree But with you know Having kids and then life getting busy And work It's totally fallen off by the wayside For the last You know seven years
0: I There's a community college nearby And they do welding And I was like I could do that maybe. I don't know. There's just so much sh- You know, it's crazy. Like there's so many jobs out there, but.
1: Oh yeah, totally. Cause there were, there was one night and it was like a snowstorm and I was like bored. I was going through my phone and I'm on, I'm on YouTube. And like, once you get in that hole of like the YouTube reels or like the shorts, like you're sucked in. You're, you're there for like 15, 20 minutes and it was a welding one and the guy was going around asking his students based off of their welds like what should i pay you an hour to weld for me and he's like asking his students like well you know one guy was like i would probably say like 17 he's like i'd give you 23 an hour all right i mean it's all based on the quality of their work he gets to like one girl and she's like, eighteen. He's like, I'll give you thirty-seven. Wow, thirty-seven dollars an hour to weld. I'm like, that's more than I'm making an hour to do this. I'm like, damn.
0: Not to go on a tangent, and there's been a few of those today and every day. But I think the thing that when I get back into the real world, if I ever do, or who knows, maybe I'll be a fucking loser that makes a podcast for the next twenty years before I retire. But. The thing about policing is you have a lot of freedom to, you know, drive around or go do this or go do that, where I think, you know, working on assembly line or working in a business or being a welder can't fucking go anywhere. You can't walk around. You're fucking in that spot for eight to 10 hours a day. I think I would struggle with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I struggled with it when I was out of work for that, you know, eight months. I made a Dunkin' Donuts run at my dad's garage to bring back coffee to everybody. My dad screamed at me. I was like, what? He's like, you just can't fucking leave. And I'm like, I brought everybody coffee, smile. And then you go to the hospital and it was like, well, OSHA says every four hours you get 15 minutes and then you get one half hour break. And it was just like fucking miserable. And then once I got back into law enforcement and like, in the car by myself just like driving around oh so much better so much better that's that is one
0: thing you can't take for granted
1: no so much freedom you know just drive around do your job answer calls can go wherever i want in town no one's going to bitch at me if i want to go back and go to the bathroom or if i want to grab my id from the store grab a coffee there's none of that it's definitely refreshing to get back into it after living that eight months of those two jobs. It was great.
0: The next set of questions I have for you: Do you have any ghost stories or extraterrestrial encounters you'd like to share?
1: Not really. Um, I've had the few occasions at work where, like, you'd be clearing like an old building at night and you feel like somebody's watching you. I've had that, but when I worked at the hospital, there was one, there was one wing and it used to be used for, um, psych, gerocy- geriatric psych ward for basically for like end of life, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's patients. Yeah. Um, there was a bathroom up there that was untouched. So I would go up there on the midnight shift and get my rounds off the desk And um, I remember I'm walking up there one night and I heard change fall on the floor behind me. And I was like, I looked behind me, like no one's there. I walked down the entire hallway, the entire hallway and all the rooms were empty. And that was the last time I went up to that floor. And um, later in the night I went down to the actual active general psych floor. And I was talking to the nurses. They're like, yeah, that floor is like wicked haunted. They're like, We used it a couple months ago, and I saw a can of soda slide across the desk, and I'm like, yeah, I just heard chains drop. She's like, oh, I've heard that, too. It was creepy. What the fuck? Yeah, literally, I heard chains drop, and I was the one on the floor. See, so
0: that would sound like a great place to go take a dump, though. No one's up there. No interruptions. No people screaming and yelling.
1: It was. It was, but... After that, I stopped going up there. i do that. I would wait till first thing in the morning coming off a shift when the lady would clean the bathroom and I'd go blow that one up. <laughs> modern problem, you solve modern solutions.
0: Good um, sir. In your humble opinion, what is the best patrol car of all time?
1: Crown Vic. <laughs> New guys girls will never understand the sheer panic of driving a Crown Vic in a snowstorm going code sideways half the time.
0: Sounds like freedom to me. Yep. Yeah. I hear eagles soaring overhead.
1: <laughs> oh, it's snowing right now? Let me go to this vacant parking lot work on my defensive driving and do donuts.
0: Allegedly.
1: Allegedly, yes. re to the northeast and snow.
0: <laughs> I heard a story um, allegedly about some people getting in trouble for uh, doing donuts or cookies or uh, oh, what the fuck was the and shitties that was the other one um, <laughs> I haven't brought up that in a while uh, in the snow and I was like huh I guess I should make sure there's not cameras around if I ever do that allegedly i
1: I laughed so hard i don't know if it was on i think it was the ghost patch page or you may have shared it it was the achievement for crashing a cruiser
0: oh yeah that's that is a that is a joint uh coin in patch made by myself and yeah i saw
1: that and i was like holy shit that's me (laughs) I well, that's, my,
0: uh, rec- that's my a regular cruiser coin right here in my in my midst. <laughs> uh, all right, now the moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, no one cares about New Hampshire. No one cares about Maine. No one cares about mental health. People want to know: Have you ever shit your pants? Fully?
1: No. Partially? Yes.
0: Explain yourself.
1: I may have taken a chance on a fart that I shouldn't have trusted. Yep. And let's just say I went home not wearing underwear that day. Then you shit your pants, man. It's not fully shit. I mean, I finished in the toilet, but it was just like, how can I put like a little six inch wet streak and leave it there all day? That's shit.
0: That's shit. You shit your pants.
1: All right, I'll classify shit in my pants.
0: You shit your fucking pants, okay? Just I classify
1: wet fart, but okay.
0: A wet fart is shit. I don't know. It's it's like a different level.
1: It's not a blowout, but it no. Is. I'm like I'm thinking when like when my kids were little and they shit their pants, it was like a full on like bowel movement, not just a little like. Yeah, exactly. Wasn't a little like line. <laughs> So yes. I hate changing diapers so much. I still can't deal with it. They're out of diapers now, but if I'm at work and I smell shit, it's like automatic, like gag reflex. All
0: right. So real quick story. Um, I didn't shit my pants, but, uh, as I told you, I, I was fucking sick yesterday. Um, there's like the norovirus or whatever going around and my wife got it. And then Like the other day, my fucking kid was throwing up on me, and that I fucking hate vomit, man. It took all of my strength. I was a fucking puke right back on him. But so I finally got it, and uh, I'm laying in bed, and I'm in my jeans, which people are like, "Why are you laying in your bed in jeans?" Because I was sick. I didn't want to fucking. It took all of my strength to get into the bed, right? So I'm laying in bed, fucking sick as a dog, and I had a conscious thought because I thought I was going to puke and potentially shit my pants. I was like, I should take my wallet out of my jeans because if I fucking puke and blow out my pants, I don't want shit all over my wallet. Luckily, though, it didn't come to that. That's good. I I don't know why I felt the need to share it, but you're welcome.
1: Thank you for your service, good sir.
0: (laughs) Did you say service? And I'm proud to be an American. (laughs) Okay. Good sir, do you have any imparting words of wisdom for the millions of listeners? I don't. Damn, man! Good for you. Good for you, because you're not a fucking know-it-all about like every the other hundred one of you guys that have been on here. Just kidding. Keep- no. Well, guys, you know what to do. Take care of the fo- oh, the cat's taking a shit again. Welcome back, Stanley. Thanks for your service. Um,
1: good work, Stanley
0: work it's a nice fucking kitty uh, <laughs> but god damn it, Easy. I lost my whole train, of, lost my whole train of thought there well I got the fucking kitty down here shit and I can't even think um, that's a very shitty bubbles impression but with that said you guys know what to do take care of the fine sponsors of the podcast because without them I couldn't make you this terrible podcast and uh, check out the merch I got coins patches uh wreck cruiser coins and patches and uh merch t-shirts mugs all the good stuff and then at the end of every podcast there's a link and you can uh become a monthly donor of the podcast it's like patreon but you don't get anything but you make me feel good and pay for ramen noodles with that said remember don't be as fucked up as polio i love most of you bye-bye